All right, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Romans chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can look in the bulletin. The verses we're going to be looking at are there. We're in a series, a Christmas series, uh, called Far As the Curse Is Found. And Christmas means that God has come to earth to make his blessings flow this far. This far. Um, the shepherd's candle on the Advent wreath, uh, it's about living on mission, as we heard earlier. The shepherds heard the message, and then they investigated what they heard, and they became messengers then. So they went from hearing the message, exploring it, studying it out, and then became messengers. And that's the pattern for us. So every week here in church, we hear aspects of the message. Some of us are still investigating. We're still trying to figure out, do we believe? Do we think this is true? Do we want to follow Jesus? Um, And those who are convinced, we become messengers who live on mission. And we live in ways that show Jesus' love to others. And we can share the message of Christmas. Um, Because when we understand the meaning of Christmas, we're invited by God to share its meaning with others. In Romans, Romans is a letter that helps us understand why Jesus came. Okay, the verses that we're going to look at today are going to help us understand what Jesus has done and how it impacts our lives. And so in the last two weeks, we've seen broken leaders and broken followers. Uh, We've seen that the world has been captured and controlled by sin and darkness and sinful powers in the world. These things are not from God. They're not God's design. God's design for the world was radically different than the world that we live in. But the world has been enslaved by broken leaders, and the world mourns. Our hearts mourn for something better. The frustration that we experience, the pain that we experience when we listen to our leaders, when we see the corruption that exists all over our culture, um, when we look inside and see the ways that we damage ourselves with the decisions that we make, the way that we respond to other people in relationships, we see the brokenness that we have in us, not just out there, but in here. And we long for something different. We hope that someone could come. And Christmas tells the story of what happens when God's love invades the brokenness of this world. Like that's what Christmas is about. It's the beginning of the story, of of the climax of the story of what happens when God's love invades the brokenness of the world. And so it's like two worlds colliding And this passage that we're going to look at today talks about what happens when they do. When worlds collide, this is what happens. And so at the end of last week, at the end of verse 14, Paul said this. He said that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So we looked at this last week, um, and we need need to pick up here because um, Adam. what, what Paul is saying here is that Adam did something. And what Adam did made him similar to Jesus. But hold on a second, Um, because Paul said that what Adam did was he ruined life for everyone. Um, He brought sin and death into the world, and sin and death has infected all of us. Sin has infected us. It's made us people who have the potential to do and say and think awful things, right? So how is that like Jesus? We long for Adam's influence to stop, to diminish, to go away. We long for Jesus' world to grow and to flourish and to fill the world. Right? Adam's influence on the world, it's like the upside down from Stranger Things, if you've seen that show. Like we want to be free from it. We don't want more of it. So how is it good news? Why would Paul say that Adam is a type of Jesus? 
Right? How does that make any sense at all? Well, Paul anticipates this objection, and he says, wait, wait, hold on, wait, wait, don't misunderstand me. There is a parallel between Adam and Jesus, but they are so incredibly different. And so before I show you how they're similar, let me qualify. And in these verses, we're going to see that Paul makes several qualifications to show how God came to be a renewed leader who fixes, who fixes what is broken. And so the first thing that we see uh, in terms of these qualifications that Paul makes, and he's going to describe the differences between Adam and Jesus, um, he says this. He says, we have now a life of grace, not death. Okay, this is the first thing he says. We have a, a life now of grace and not death. This is verse 15. Let's read it together. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. You know, the free gift comes from Jesus, the trespass comes from Adam, right? So he says, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so he's saying the free gift is not like the trespass. He's saying Jesus is totally different from Adam. Adam brings death to us, but Jesus brings the free gift of God's grace. Um, from, from Adam's sin, death abounded. Because of what Adam did, death entered into the world and everything dies. So, and, and so we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This isn't just physical death, but this is that we bring death and decay into every part of our lives. That the decisions that we make, the things that we say, even the things that we think and feel can be a corrosive, destructive effect on ourselves and on other people. Um, the ways that we hurt each other. This is all death. It's all a foretaste of the ultimate death, but it brings decay and ruin. And, and so many people died because of what Adam did. But, but because of what Jesus did, grace abounded. Grace abounded. And so grace is God's kindness, his favor, his willingness to forgive. And this abounded because of what Jesus has done. And he says here, it's a free gift. Um, the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? This means you don't have to earn it. So many people, they come to church and they think, oh man, I got to get my life right in order for God to love me. That's not how the gospel works. That's not good news. Okay, it's not good news to say you've got to earn it to receive it. It's, it's not good news to say if you're not this good, you're going to be, you're going to fail and you won't achieve it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God's, that this is a free gift. This changes everything. You don't have to earn a right standing with God. You don't have to become good enough. God accepts you as you are. The people Paul was writing to, so many of them were burdened because they thought they had to earn it. They thought they had to get their lives right. They thought they had to maintain a certain level of morality in order for God to love them or to continue to love them. And Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. The gospel is a free gift. It's a free gift. You don't have to be afraid of God. He is a loving father. He is a good father who knows how to love well. And so Jesus, in his coming, in his actions, he shows the world what God is like. Um, he was powerful to demonstrate a different kind of world. He was a different kind of leader than Adam. Uh, he, he led a different kind of life. His life was full of grace. It was full of kindness and compassion. And it was, he offered himself freely to the world. 
And so we see that Jesus is different because he brings a life of grace and not death. Second, we see also that, that Jesus brings a future of justification, not condemnation. This is verse 16. Let's read it together. He says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so the, the word result there in verse 16 is key. The result means how will God judge on the last day? Um, verse 15 says that life today is different. Okay, it's, it's, it's grace and not death. Verse 16 says that in the final judgment, the judgment will also be radically different. If you follow Adam's sin, the judgment of God will be condemnation. Now, this sounds harsh, but it's really just the natural consequence. Right? If you choose in this life to reject God and reject God's ways in this life, if you live apart from God, you will live the next life apart from God. The Bible calls that condemnation. But Jesus makes everything different. If you follow Jesus, if you realize that he is the renewed leader who has come into the world, if you follow him, your judgment will be justification. Justification means that God will rule in your favor. You will be accepted by him. He will accept you and he will welcome you fully and completely into his family. This starts already when we believe in Jesus. We have this confidence that comes. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that even though we don't experience the fullness of our communion with God, even though we don't experience the perfect relationship with God, we can know for sure that God loves us and accepts us for, you know, just as we are. He brings us into his family. Justification is the supernatural consequence of a God who loves the world so much that he's willing to forgive us if we return to him and have a relationship with him. I, mean, I love this. I love this. this. This means that God accepts us just as we are, that God loves you for who you are. He forgives you and invites you into a lifelong relationship with him. Now, in this verse, we also see a third thing. We see in this verse that comes from Jesus, a love that forgives all your sins. Um, look again at verse 16. It says, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so, judgment follows one trespass, but the free gift follows many trespasses. What does this mean? I mean, this means that like, one sin is enough. Right? One sin of rebellion, one act of turning away from God and living apart from him is enough to be condemned. But justification comes not just with one sin, not just after one sin, but it comes after many sins. This means that Jesus responds to all of our sins. Trespass is another word for sin. It's a little bit different, but, but for our sake, let's just, they're synonyms. Um, Jesus responds to all of our sins with forgiveness and acceptance. What we're going to see next week is if your sin abounds, if in your life you feel like that your sin is out of control, if your sin abounds, and if you were to pile up all your, if all of us were going to come and say, all right, let's pile up all of our sins, you know, and, and some of us have mountains that are, you know, that reach up into the heavens, where our sin abounds, grace 
superabounds. Grace covers over all of our trespasses. That's what this verse is teaching us. No matter how bad they are, no matter how many they are, God is willing to forgive anything. Anything. His arms are open wide. So what I love about this verse is that this verse feels like the pinnacle where the two worlds are colliding. Um, And what we find here, we have this world that Adam produced, this world of sin and death, and you have this world that Jesus is producing, this world of life and grace and righteousness. And the way that, that they do battle, when they do battle, Jesus overcomes Adam's world in a way that is unexpected and overwhelmingly powerful. He overcomes Adam's world by dying and rising from the dead. This is how he does battle. Um, He began to speak against this world of sin and death and his teaching. But the, the pinnacle of the battle was Jesus taking on himself the power of sin. Was him suffering for the sins of the world and overcoming them in his resurrection. Right On the cross, Jesus took the worst that sin could do. And the fact that he rose from the dead means that he overcame all of our sin. This is huge. What I love about this too is that Jesus doesn't just triumph over and defeat his enemies. He actually rescues people from the grip of sin and death. Jesus rescues people. So it's not like he comes in and says, hey, get back, I'll do this. No, no. And, and so he does this thing. So say, see, hey, see everybody, I, I knew I could do this. I, you know, I did it. See ya. <laughs> like that's not what he does. Jesus overcomes sin and death. And then he reaches out to us and to grab us you know, by the arm, around, you know, around the waist. And he pulls us out of sin and death by forgiving us of many trespasses. He rescues us from Adam's world to bring us into his own. And so these worlds collide at the cross and Jesus wins by the power of his sacrificial love. This is good news. That's what these verses are teaching us. And so at Christmas, we celebrate God's willingness to come close enough to our broken world to finally defeat sin and to be the leader who can undo all that Adam did. Jesus renews the whole world and the people in it who follow him. This is why we serve him. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why whatever Jesus says, we're willing to do. Because of all that he's done for us. No matter what Jesus wants from us, no matter how difficult it may feel, no matter how hard it might be, we want to follow him. We want to do whatever it is that he wants because he's done so much for us. This moves my heart. This makes me think, ah. I mean, Jesus has this sort of ability to, he's got like a trump card in my life. Like he can just play it at any moment. He can ask me to do anything. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it might be like surprising. Like, oh, really? You want me to do that? Okay, I'm in. Jesus, after what you've done for me, I am in because you've rescued me like this. After many trespasses that I committed, after a whole life of sin and 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 a condemnation that I deserve, you rescued me from that. I'm following you. I'm following you. 
So the passage goes on. Uh, the, fourth thing, the fourth thing that Paul says here to qualify is he says, um, blank reign, not death. This is verse 17. I say blank because I don't want to tell you what goes in the blank yet because I want you to see it in the verse because you're not going to believe me when you see it. And even after, I, after you see it in the verse, you're not going to believe me, I don't think, either. Um, it's the most surprising thing in this passage to me. Um, and maybe it's because I've, I've been around and I've heard about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and I've, I, I've, I've understood this, but something hit me uh, the last time through this passage as I was preparing for this message. Um, so let's read verse 17. We'll see if you can see it, what, what actually reigns um, instead of death. Verse 17 says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So first, the easy part, because of what Adam did, death reigned. So sin and death are reigning. Sin and death are the king of Adam's world. They reign over us. They powerfully affect our lives, our relationships, our actions, our emotions, our thoughts. Um, there's a New Testament scholar, Tom Wright, who believes that Paul is describing in the book of Romans, he's describing the work of Jesus as a new exodus. It's like he takes the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt, from the Old Testament, and he's describing how the gospel, how what Jesus brings is a new exodus, not from Egypt, but an exodus from sin. And he says this about this passage. He says, sin and death play the role of Pharaoh. Paul imagines them as alien powers given access to God's world through the action of Adam. And once in, they come to stay. Staying, they seize royal power. And they now stride through their usurped domain, wreaking misery, decay, and corruption wherever they go. No one is exempt from their commanding authority. And so just like Pharaoh held God's people in bondage for hundreds and hundreds of years before God let them go, before God released them from the power of Pharaoh, so sin and death are powers in our lives. They are powers that reign over the world. There are powers that operate and they've infected us so they come from inside, but there's also power that's outside of us that pushes us and, and, and conforms us to evil and destruction. What's interesting about this for me is that so many people think that sin is freedom. Right? That sin is freedom to do things your way. Freedom from the constraints of what other people expect you to do or want you to do. Freedom from the constraints of God telling you what to do. But this verse in the Bible says that, that sin is you letting death reign in your life. When you sin um, in your arguing with your spouse or your partner or a friend or a coworker, um, you aren't fighting to get your way. You're actually letting death reign over you. When you give in to sin, it becomes your master and it is enslaving. It promises the world. It promises that you're going to feel good. It promises to give you happiness. It's going to make you feel better. But what it delivers is bondage. And so I think that's, that's striking. It's striking to think that, um, that sin operates like this. 
But what's even more striking to me is what the rest of this verse says. Because you would think it, you'd think that the verse would say, through Adam, death reigned, but through Jesus, life reigns. That's not what he says. Or, or maybe you'd think he would say that, all right, through Adam, death reigned, but through Jesus, G- Jesus reigns. But that, that's not what he says either. Um, let's look again at the second half of verse 17. He says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's kind of confusing, right? Because there's this giant like phrase that separates the subject and the verb, <laughs> right? The word reign there, and then the who's reigning, it's, uh, there's this like phrase in between that makes it a little bit difficult. But this verse describes a group of people who receive God's grace and Jesus' free gift of salvation. You see that? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, it's them. It's those people who reign. Those people reign. So who are these people? They're Christians. They're Christians. They're people who follow Jesus, um, who receive his grace and his free gift of a right standing before God. These are the people who reign. What does that mean? Well, this means that death reigns because of Adam, but because of Jesus, now we reign. We reign, not death. We reign in this life through Jesus Christ. That is one amazing piece of news from this passage. So Jesus is still king, okay? No doubt about that. That's what the word Lord means, and Paul is constantly talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But here's this amazing thing, that Jesus shares his reign with us. The Bible says that we reign with Jesus, and it gives us these pictures. It says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Um, we reign with him. So Jesus is not a tyrant. Jesus is not a ruler who is ruling even for his own sake. We could say it that way. Jesus, he's the most empowering leader ever. Um, We reign with Jesus. And so in Adam's world, death reigns under him. But in Jesus' world, we reign under him. And this is actually, this is God's design. This is the design of God, that human beings would be restored to rule and to reign on earth. Like, this is the story of glory, We've seen this. This is another point um, in, the, in this letter that Paul has written um, where he's coming back to the same theme. Um, God designed us to be crowned with glory and honor. God gave human beings from the beginning incredible authority. He gave us authority. He gave us, he gave us influence. He gave us the power to impact the world. 
And God's design, he made us in his image so that we would treat the world the way he treats us. So that we would care about the world the way he cares about the world. And when we do that, there's glory. And it's not just ethereal, but in, like, in the practice of our daily lives, for those who patiently continue in doing what's right, for those who seek after glory and honor and immortality, which means that the kind of glory and honor that we're supposed to seek is immortality. We're supposed to live in ways where what we do will last forever. We're supposed to do things that will last forever. What does that mean? Well, that means doing things out of love. Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love never ends. Love is something that's going to go on forever. And so every time you do something that is motivated by love, that's designed to give love to others, that will last forever. You are seeking immortality. You are seeking to live now in a way that you would live forever. This is one of the ways that we reign, that we reign. We take authority, we express the authority of Jesus through our lives. We become kings and queens on earth when we love other people. When we do things because God wants us to, we're seeking immortality because that's what we're going to do for the rest of eternity. We're going to spend eternity exploring this renewed world, enjoying all of it, and thanking God for it. And when we do that in this life, we reign. We reign. This is so important. Paul's design, or Paul's heart is that we would understand God's design. We think, oh man, there are so many things that we chase after in this life that are so much less than this. There's so much less than us living as people who can stand up to the sin and the death of the world and be stronger those who can do what's right in the world as a way to demonstrate that Jesus has come and he is king and we reign with him. God designed us to be forces of love and strength, of courage and boldness, to be people who aim to fill the world with care and understanding, to be people who listen, to be people who know how to bring up God's truth in the right way at the right time so that others can feel his presence and know what he, what God expects from them. This is our mission. This is how we reign in our lives by making decisions that fill our lives with righteousness. And what's exciting is that this, to me, is, is, to me, this is inspiring. To me, this is exciting to live a life in this way, to think about every relationship that I have as an opportunity to reign in a way that shows Jesus. But also, if I had to do this in order to be accepted by God, I'd be in trouble. Right? Because one of the things I identify with this passage is that phrase, many trespasses. <laughs> right? And so we have to remember that as God calls us to this incredibly high and lofty and dignifying standard, right? God, what God wants from our lives is so much more important than the things that we want. We're content with money. We're content with stuff. We're content, guilty, you know, playing hours and hours of video games. Um, I'm addicted. It's Adam's fault. It's not my fault. Um, <laughs> 
but we're so, and, and some of these things, they're not bad things, right? All these things, like as city positive people, as a church that, that, that sees the good in the world and in the culture, we can celebrate that. We can thank God for those things. But God wants us. He wants every single one of us to have authority in our lives, authority over ourselves, to be able to resist the, the evil that comes from inside of us right, to resist the evil pressure that comes from outside of us, and then to proactively produce good in the world. And he wants, us, he wants all of us to do that, but he doesn't want any of us to think that we have to do that in order to earn his love. He gives us his love. He gifts us his love before we do anything so that we'll know that he loves us no matter how well we do. That's good news. It is good news. And so the conclusion of all of this is that Jesus is the leader that we need. He's the renewed leader that we need. This is verses 18 and 19. This is where Paul finally is able to finish his thought. Having qualified himself a couple times, took us two weeks to look at his qualifications, Paul now finally, in verse 18 and 19, he concludes. He says, Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. I love that. Justification and life. So it's forgiveness and acceptance with God, that's justification, and then you really truly live now. You've got a meaningful life, an abundant life, a life of glory and honor, a life where you reign so there's justification and life for all men. For as by, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Man, so Jesus makes us right with God. He works in us to fill us with his life and his love, and he makes us into people who are righteous, who give life and love to others. So the work of Christ for us and in us, it shows us that Jesus and Adam, they're two leaders whose works are building a world that impacts and influences their followers. And Jesus' birth, Christmas means that God has come as a renewed leader to renew the world. And so for us, Christmas means that we have something to show and to share. That's where it all comes down. We have something to show and to share. We show Jesus by reigning in his name, by being part of the reign of love and righteousness in our lives and to those that we are related to, to those we have relationships with. And then we share Jesus by loving people so much that they would understand and be blessed by our faith. We love people so much that we have to tell them where our motivation comes from why our lives are characterized by peace and a desire to do the right thing um, and a desire to resist the temptation to do things that are wrong. Um, this third candle, it's, it's Jesus because he is the light of the world, but it's also us shining his light to others in his name. I mean, this is our renewed lives. It's us becoming renewed leaders who are following Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you 
Thank you for being the leader that we need. Thank you for both for rescuing us and for calling us to reign with you. We want together to confess that we just don't think about this. We don't live like this. We have settled for so much less than this glorious and honor-filled and life of reigning in your name. Would you put on our hearts, Jesus, how we can this week take steps to reign in relationships that are broken, uh, in relationships that need an infusion of your love through us. Would you show us the areas where we just spend time doing things that are so far less than what you have for us? Give us the wisdom to know what is wonderfully appropriate celebration and what's just settling for less. And I pray, Jesus, that you would open doors for us during this Christmas season so that we might be able to share with others the hope, the joy, and the power that comes from knowing you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.